Hi, interns, and welcome back to part two of this special episode. If you missed part one, you'll definitely want to pause this and go back and listen to that one first. Last episode, we learned the story of Eric and Shannon Nolting. We learned they had been college sweethearts together for over a decade and had two kids together. We also learned that Eric had an irritating mole removed and sent for a biopsy analysis in 2012. And then we learned that five years later, Eric was diagnosed with stage four melanoma. That mole that had been removed had come back positive for the aggressive cancer, but nobody ever told Eric. He launched a malpractice lawsuit against the clinic, doctors, and hospital that had not notified him, but tragically passed away before it went to court. The case was converted to list his wife and children as the plaintiffs so that they could pursue the case further. But that wasn't even the full story. After Eric passed, his life insurance provider refused to pay out on his policy, claiming he had failed to disclose that he had cancer and that that non-disclosure voided his policy. Eric's wife, Shannon, filed a lawsuit against the insurance company on the grounds that he couldn't disclose something that he had no knowledge of. Because the cases were so closely related to each other, as in if the court found malpractice fault with the doctors and the clinic, it affected the progression of the insurance case. Because of that, both cases were merged together. When I was reading about this case, that's pretty much where the trail went cold. I found the court documents that were filed when those two cases were merged together. And then there was just nothing. Considering that this case was several years old at this point, I thought it was unlikely that the case was still moving through the court system, which meant it was most likely that it had reached a settlement outside of the courtroom and no public documents would be available to ever know what the outcome was. I wrote the whole episode anyway, but I couldn't shake the feeling that I wasn't ready to share it when it seemed so unresolved. And so I tracked down Eric's widow, Shannon, and took a shot at reaching out to see if she would be willing to discuss it with me. At the time, the podcast hadn't even launched, so it was certainly a stretch of faith. But she did respond and cleared up the big question mark of what happened after Eric passed away. So for part two of this story, we'll hear mostly from Shannon about her journey after losing Eric. Welcome to the Miss Medical Podcast, Diagnosis Flatline. I'm your host, Destry Godwin. Miss Medical explores stories of misdiagnosis, malpractice, mysteries, and misogyny. 
you're my interns, and this is where true crime and medicine collide. This is Miss Medical. remained optimistic right up until the end that he would beat the melanoma. While I'd imagine most people are probably familiar with melanoma, for those who aren't, it's considered the most aggressive and deadly type of skin cancer. It's caused by the abnormal growth of cells called melanocytes. These are the cells in your skin that produce melanin, which is what gives your skin color. Tanning, moles, or darker skin tones all exist because of melanin. One of the greatest risk factors for melanoma is exposure to UV radiation from sunlight or tanning beds and being fair-skinned where you don't have a large amount of natural melanin. Sunlight or UV exposure damages the cells, which increases the chance of them reproducing in an abnormal way. Of course, there are plenty of melanoma cases that aren't linked to sun exposure, but it's definitely a major risk factor. While melanoma is a very serious diagnosis, it is treatable if it's caught early enough. Early stage melanoma can often be treated just by removing the cancerous patch of skin and a small border of the healthy skin surrounding it. According to curemelanoma.org, stage 1 melanoma has a 5-year survival rate of 98.4%. But once you've reached stage four, that drops to only 22.5%. Despite his optimism, Eric did have Shannon promise to follow through on the lawsuit in the event that he became unable to. I think because the battle was so long for me, like it took, it was five years of fighting after Eric, well, he started the medical malpractice. And then it was five years, I think then he passed away and he made me promise him to continue fighting because he knows like I'm not that type of person to fight like I'm I'm a survivor and I will fight if I have to, but I just would rather go hiking in the forest. And so even after losing her husband, Caring for two small children and trying to understand the world of grief she was in, she kept her promise. But the fight would not be an easy one. Um, Yeah, and then it took five years of basically following me around and wanting to know my everything. An economist followed my life for for that amount of time because they do that to say, well, you know, if, if I was to remarry or if I, 
if I was doing really well, then it doesn't really matter then, right? Yeah, so you they follow, they want to know what you make every year, what you spend your money on, your holidays. Like they basically scrutinize your life and you're in this huge, heavy cloud of grief. Like you're just yeah. like... Well, ultimately, the settlement requires that Shannon does not discuss the details of what was found or awarded. Making that difficult decision was what seemed right for her. Through negotiations, they basically said, um, you know, like if you sign this, you just can't talk about what the outcome was. And that was really hard for me because I had a lot of people that were like, in similar situations but you know the the judge like the mediator she was she kind of reminded me like my grandma and she you know it was super stressful I took a lot of it was a full kind of day event a lot of people a lot of boardrooms you just like one person with your lawyer right it's like oh my gosh this is scary and um yeah and then she just said you know what Shannon like can we have a private conversation and I said okay because I was I was leaving there without I didn't want to settle. I was like, I don't want to settle. This is ridiculous. Like, this isn't fair. It's not right. Yep. Basically, what happened was she said, you know, can we talk privately? And I said, yes. And we had, like, a, a conversation. And she's just going to um, explain to the reality of if you do not settle, what will happen? Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And she said, you will be fighting for another at least three years. And she said, and then you will have a 21-day trial. And your entire life will be up for view, which was fine for me. I'm a, I'm a good person. So I was like, I don't, I don't care about that part. But it was just the three more years of, of fighting. And I was like, I don't want this chapter of my life to be constantly in the worst part. You know, like it's like constantly reliving the nightmare over and over and over. So my kids then were, you know, that's five, five years of them watching me. And my son, my son at the time was nine. And he said to my mom, like, he, he just said, I just don't want my mom to cry anymore. Like, I just, I'm, I, I just don't want to see her so sad. And it was because I just constantly had to go back and like, you know, and then you're, you're going downtown, like downtown Vancouver. I had to fire a lawyer, hire a lawyer. Like it was just like, oh my gosh, I'm like, what? So that was the insurance. But what happened was when I was fighting the medical malpractice, I, I, brought in the insurance because they then didn't want to pay. So I thought, you know, let's combine the cases, make them one because I felt like one affected the other. Yeah. You know, and so that's what happened. They, they We combined the cases and then everybody met in the same room at the same time, like insurance, doctor's clinic, like everybody. So that kind of was how that, that played out. And it's really cold. I mean, the hospital was probably the most sympathetic, like the most... The person who was representing the hospital actually took the time to show like care and and genuine. I felt genuine caring and compassion and empathy from him. And the rest, I did not. I felt like this was a fight, and they were they went in there really cold. And basically, insurance guy didn't even say two words to me. Just looked me up and down and was like, "No, we're not paying." When I was hearing Shannon's story, I felt her conflict. <laughs> so deeply. On one hand, she had promised to fight for accountability. She was angry and she was grieving. And she certainly didn't want to feel like she was being silenced. But on the other hand, the prospect of continuing 
to have to exist in that particular moment of time with a dragged out court case pulling her away from her children and preventing her from really even just having a moment to breathe after all she'd been through just seemed insurmountable. Following the legal battle being finished, suddenly Shannon's distraction was gone and she was forced to come face to face with her grief and processing what her future was going to look like without Eric. And it was at that point that the weight of the grief became crushing. So intense. And then after, basically, it was it was a quite the journey. Like, I, Eric and I made a lot of decisions together. We traveled a lot. We grew up together pretty much. You know, when you're 19, you just, you start to grow up with somebody. And I had never really... Like, I'd lived on my own through college, like, the first year, but I was so used to having a partnership and loved being part of a team, and I moved to where my mom was just to be close to my mom and dad, and then I just crashed and burned. I was like, I can't. It was the grief. I tried to go back to work because I also worked in healthcare, and I I couldn't do it. I, I just had, like, massive panic attack, and I was like, I can't. I couldn't leave the kids. Couldn't, I couldn't leave them. Like, they'd be crying, and I'm like, and they, you know, Ellie was only two, so... I'm like, I'm not going to have a daycare raiser when she's scream crying under the table. Like, can't do it. Like, I just can't. It was breaking my heart. So I told my mom, I'm like, I'm just going to spend my savings and I'm just going to raise the kids. And when all the money's gone, I'm like, I'll figure it out. But I'm just going to stick to the plan that we had, which was for me to stay home and raise these kids till they're in kindergarten. And I'm like, and that's what I'm going to tell Ellie was in kindergarten. That's what I did. Spent the entire life savings to do that. And then and then, and I, and I don't regret that decision for one second. I needed to do it. But in the process of that, just, just trying to find the right counselor and not getting, not finding the right counselor and really trying to keep quiet about it all. Like not really, I was, I wanted to be strong and I wanted to show people how strong I was, but on the inside I was falling apart. Out of respect for Shannon's privacy and for her children, I'm not going to share the level of detail here that Shannon went into, but I will say that it reached a point where she understood that she could not cope on her own, and she sought inpatient treatment at a mental health facility. After spending some time in there, caring for herself, and learning how to navigate her mental health, She found a counselor to work with in the local community after she was discharged. But grief certainly doesn't follow a rule book. And you weren't ever just cured from that kind of loss. I was so detached from my feelings. Like even watching the kids do things that you would normally as a mom be like cry or get emotional about. It was just numb. I would just look at them like oh yeah they're doing that like almost like in a fog and my mom would be crying and people around would be like oh look what she's doing she's dancing or you know look how well he's doing at hockey or whatever and I was not really absorbing it which was also really really sad because I felt like they took away the best years of raising your kids for me like I mean I love this age too but those little years you just don't get back and I was like you know I, I, I felt really like robbed of that time with them. They say that time heals all. And, well, I'm not sure that's really true. 
time does keep moving and waits for nobody, even a grieving widow. As more time passed, Shannon tried to move forward with her life, trying her best to not stay in that place of grief and sorrow forever. And so, she decided she was going to step out of her comfort zone and try dating. And she seemed to meet a really great guy. Until, suddenly, he wasn't. I tried dating, and it just never worked out. I, I had one relationship that just, it just wasn't the right person. I, I wasn't ready. It just, I was not, I didn't, I wasn't healed enough, and my heart wasn't open. And then, and then actually, this is the kicker, this is where things <laughs> gone, but... So then last year, I was in White Rock, so I'd lived in White Rock this whole time since moving from Armstrong to White Rock, where Eric passed away, Armstrong, or Vernon, but, um, and so last year, I told my mom, I said, you know what, mom, I feel like I've done enough counseling, like, I feel like I'm ready, like, I feel like my heart's ready to be open, and I feel like I'm ready to meet somebody, and, and then she's like, well, what are you going to do, and I said, well, I think I'm going to, um, like, go online and just see, you know, because I worked I ended up changing careers and everything just to be home with the kids um, as much as possible. And then, so anyway, I opened my heart to somebody who was a, a predator. And he actually, I found out later that I'm not his first widow. And he's in jail now. But basically, he conned me into a lot of things like signing documents and different things. And then, and so now I'm in another, yet another court battle. It's crazy. I can't even believe it. I was like... What are the, what's the, sometimes like I look up to the universe and I'm like God, or I don't, I don't know if you believe in God, but the universe. And I say, you know, like, okay, like I'm done. <laughs> Please like a little reprieve. I'm, I'm done. I'm done for a while. Like, I think I, I've had enough now. So now he's in jail for another girl that he hurt. And now I'm trying to fight for a restraining order and, then the cops are like, well, you can't have a restraining order because he never physically hit you. And I said, but I'm scared of him. And and then found out, like he told me, he was fighting for, because he had assaulted somebody who found out later it was a female, that he actually is a registered sex offender. Like, it just went to, like, it was like that nightmare. Like, you were like, oh, my gosh, what? And then convinced me basically he had a house that he was trying to sell and I sold mine right away and then we found this farm here and I was going to buy it in Campbell River and he said like I would love to live with you and have a family with you and you know like not more kids but you know like Mm -hmm. raise our families and what you would do as partnership you know like with Eric we shared everything that's just what you do in relationship and so being maybe naive or just feeling so hopeful you know, that I just was like, okay. And then he said, well, when I sell my house, I'll, I'll give you, you know, the half the share. And so I took my entire savings and bought this place. And then he signed with me because he was going to give me half when his house sold. And then he never sold his house. And now he's on title and he wants half. Shannon has since pumped the brakes on the idea of dating again partly from her experience with it, but partly because she knows she's just not really in the place where she's ready to open her heart again to somebody. 
losing Eric still hurts too much. I've never been through anything like Shannon, but I have had similar struggles in the dating world. I was married young, but we ultimately divorced. I was single for a while, and then I thought I was ready to start dating again, so I signed up on a dating site. I was on this site for almost a year, and I had never met anybody or even progressed to emailing somebody outside of the site. There were just all of these petty little reasons about why each person really just wasn't a good fit. But really, it was because I wasn't actually ready. It was just before my one-year membership was about to expire that my husband, Jason, messaged me. And for some reason, he was the right person, and it was the right time, and we've been together ever since. But my point is, I do understand sometimes we think we're ready, and it's only once we start doing it that we realize we're not. For Shannon, she's taking the space to let her heart heal. Well, the pain will never disappear. Each day, it gets just a fraction easier to live with. You know, Destry, what's interesting is that nothing will be as worse as watching Eric die. Nothing. Nothing will be as painful. I, I could not, like, if something terrible happened to my kids, or but, like, I've already felt so much pain that even this, like, sometimes I sit here and I'm like, is this going to throw me into a tailspin? Like, I was even, like, I went to a counselor just because I thought, well, should I go to a counselor? Like, is this what I should do? And then I thought about it, and I was like, no, the reason it's not affecting me as, as hard is because nothing will be as painful as that, as what I went through with Eric. Like, nothing will hurt as bad as that hurt. And so it's like, yeah, this hurts. This guy sucks, but I don't love him. <laughs> you know, it, it was only five months. You know, think about this. You know, like, I believe that, like you're here for a reason like I do believe that things do happen for a reason and I know that sounds really weird considering what happened to Eric but I feel like for some reason this is my journey and you know and this is what you know what God or whatever wants me to do it's like he's okay so this is the path that I'm I'm living and you know and you want me to live this path for a reason you know I haven't really figured it out yet but I'm trying <laughs> um yeah, so, oh my gosh, it's been intense. And then, but the kids, you know, the kids are doing really well. And we actually just had a friend here. Um, it's my, so Eric's sister, um, Diana, who was two years older than Eric, we became really close. We were close before, but we became really close um, over the years, this past nine years. And, and she actually moved in with me six months ago. And she has two kids around the same age as, as mine. And and so we've been we've been raising them together and it's been really helpful. Like it's just been nice to have help, someone here, somebody that cares and loves you. And also we can talk about Eric freely and openly and the kids get to hear her stories as well as mine, you know, which is really, really nice to have that and then yeah, so that, and I know Eric's smiling down, like, I think he's really, because him and his sister were super close, I think he's smiling down, just saying, like, you guys finally figured it out. Yeah, so, 
So that's lovely. So there's good things that have happened and both the kids are, you know, they're really well adjusted. They're doing, they're, they're both incredibly intelligent and, you know, they've got their little things like their sadnesses, you know, like obviously Ellie won't have her dad for her wedding or graduation or the big moments. Like she said to me, she danced for a lot of years and she said, you know, just one time it would be so nice to have him in the crowd right I'm like I know Ellie but he's here like he's watching she's like I know but it'd just be nice to see his eyes looking back at me they they talk about him like Ellie talks about him more than Brody like she'll say you know like what do you think dad would think of that or you know and we've after I I did a lot of researching about children in grief Mm -hmm. um, and reached out to hospice in White Rock which was amazing they were really good they do camps and they really make feel they make kids feel like they're not alone they're um the camps are absolutely amazing and the kids wanted to go like it wasn't like oh I don't want to go to that camp they were like yes I want to go and they made them feel incredibly special and they talked about things that maybe I you know would be hard for me to talk about Mm -hmm. with them and then and then just did a tons of research on things for little kids like when they're so little and they they don't understand like they want their dad but they don't understand where he's gone and what's heaven, what's heaven and where is that and so you know we we had I had made like little like dad boxes where I had socks and ties and his Air Canada hat and like a few things in a box for them and put it on their floor in their room and I thought you know let's see what happens like his cologne and just stuff close to him and then Ellie would go in her room and she would open her we called it her dad box and she would open it and put put the ties on and smell the cologne and put his hats on and and then it was like her way of having a connection with her dad you know which was a really nice thing to do and they're just really connected because of it too the two of them as siblings they're just really close and really connected um they hate to see each other cry and they're just but they're so supportive of it so that's that's nice you know they're so that's great you know they're doing they're doing amazing and once I get this little hurdle over with and I go through court and fight this one last battle I'm not doing it again I'm done Eric was really well like a really liked person and like it was amazing the stories that come out when Eric, like I actually printed them off of, because he did start a, like a webpage. And so I have like a stack of stories that people have written, like, oh, I remember when I was in ground school with me and you, you know, and you just told me, keep on going, you got this. And just how supportive and kind. And he said, you know, one of the things in death, Shannon, that you never really get is you know, usually people die and then you hear all of these things that they, how you affected their life or how you how you, you know, you made made a difference. And he said, you know, I'm getting to hear all of that now. Like, I, well, I'm alive. Like he said, it, it really is a gift. And it was really, really neat for him to be able to, he always would do that, though. He would always see, like, the good. You know, I mean, there was a few times when he got really, really down about it, but he never thought he was going to die till the second he died. He never did. He said, you know what, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to live. It's going to be... It's going to be, I'm going to get over this. I've got this. And anything he put his mind to, he always did. He just was always incredibly intelligent and good at, like, everything. Yeah, and so he truly did. And I thought if anyone could do it, he could. Like, they had all these experimental drugs, and we tried them. And, you know, he would bounce back a bit and then down again. And, you know, but, it, yeah. But to the second, the very second, he died. He'd right into the very end. He was like, no, I'm... I'm not going to die. 
Shannon and Eric's story is exactly why I wanted to start this podcast in the first place. It's these stories, not just of the people who suffer at the hands of a misdiagnosis or malpractice, but the ripple it creates for all those around them. I know nothing will ever bring Eric back, but I'm grateful to Shannon for being so open about sharing her story with me and allowing me to share it with you. If you'd like to do more, please consider donating to the Peace Arch White Rock Hospice Society found at peacearchhospice.org or to Melanoma Cancer Research. We'll be back again next week with a new story. For sources and additional show notes, follow the link in the episode summary to our website. If you'd like to see pictures related to the episodes and the Miss Medical Podcast, you can find us on Instagram as Miss Medical Podcast. If you love Miss Medical and want to support the show, find us on Patreon where you can officially join the intern team. All episodes are written by myself and aim to be as factually accurate as possible. Music is an original composition recorded and produced by Jason Chamberlain. And of course, make sure you follow the podcast on your chosen platform so you never miss an episode.